Welcome to the Morse Code Podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurially-minded creatives in music, film, and writing. My name is Corby, and I'm hoping these conversations inspire you to push deeper into your own work, whether you're a full-time professional or just starting out on your own creative odyssey. I'm really excited to share this conversation with singer-songwriter Abigail Comst. Originally from Las Vegas, Abigail moved to Nashville to study songwriting and business at Belmont University. I met this promising young singer-songwriter at the Wildflower Festival in Texas, where we were both competing at the Al Johnson Songwriters Competition. I was struck by Abby's genuine musicality, and as a songwriter of the next generation, I wanted to have her into the studio to see how she's tackling the challenges of moving forward as an indie artist in today's landscape. She also plays three songs here in the studio, and I get to join her on a couple. If you get something out of the Morse Code podcast, please like and subscribe. And now, here's my conversation with Abigail Compst. Abigail Compst, <clears throat> thank you so much for being here. Thanks for making time for us. I'm so excited. I'm excited. Good to be here. I'm excited too. And um, maybe we can jump into this by setting up how we met, which was at a songwriting competition. Yeah. Is that fair to describe it as? And I mean, songwriting is a songwriting and songwriting performance singer-songwriting competition. Yes, the Al Johnson Performing Singer-Songwriter Contest. Contest at the Wildflower Festival. I think this is the whole, you got to get yes, all 16 words in. I know. So people really know it's what like you're talking about. It's like half my bio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes on and on. It's like, wow, these are a lot of competitions she's been part of. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's just one, one really long one. Well, we met there and um, uh, we both placed in the nice happy standing that we could put put in our bios mm -hmm. um and more importantly i got to see you sing and play and me, me and my wife were both in the audience and we both looked at each other and i was like she's good and i would say like you're good and also and this is the thing that i feel like s sets apart um singer songwriters that are kind of destined to put a lot of energy into it touring the world from everybody else. And that is that you're truly musical. You know, it's not just like you're up, you wrote a song and you know how to play three chords and you sing, but you're like, you emanate musicality. And yeah. so props to you Thank for emanating you so musicality. And um, so I was impressed and I, w I wanted to talk to you more. And the other reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast is because you're doing something that I recognize in myself, which is you're like, you're hanging your shingle out there with your name on it and your songs and you're touring and you're making records and you're making videos and you're doing a full bore go at getting yourself and your name out there in the music business as a performing singer songwriter. So I applaud you. And you. as somebody who spent two decades doing it himself, and who's watched the landscape change quite a bit. Um, I just wanted to talk to somebody who's younger at this and kind of with a fresher lens. Um, maybe we can just start with, uh, my understanding is that you are from Las Vegas, Nevada originally, mm -hmm. which is a, as everybody knows, a songwriting Mecca <laughs> um, out there in the desert. Um, so maybe my first question is how did you get exposed to this and how, you know, what's an early memory of, of music in your life that made you kind of want to start investigating the, the journey? Sure. 
my parents are both musicians, jazz vocalist and bass player. Mm. And um, my mom did a lot of musical theater. She was in Menopause the Musical in Las Vegas. Mm. So I have many examples, early memories of you know family Christmas concerts. And um, we, my brother and I were both put in piano lessons when we were little. And uh, from there, I picked up a guitar and never looked back. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a performing arts high school las vegas academy where i studied classical guitar and that was kind of so it it consumed my whole life just like hours of practicing and that's kind of when i realized that there's nothing else i could do besides (laughs) music because i had no other skill set um but it sounds like so your folks were from like a theater and jazz background which is, you know, cousins too, but not the, not, I wouldn't say brothers to the songwriting game. And so what was it about songwriting that made you kind of want to start doing that? Um, it just happened as therapy as a teenager going through high school. Like mm-hmm. I'd always been a big lover of English class and short stories and writing. And then to have that guitar love come in as well, it just manifested without giving too much thought to it yeah i think that yeah there's a quite an overlap between english majors and guitar aficionados and that that in the venn diagram of that is the singer songwriter totally yeah (laughs) i think overall i'm i'm a self like aware nerd i loved school and Uh um so when i was leaving my parents had one rule and it was, you have to leave Vegas when you graduate high school. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to leave this place. Yeah. And it was good. I, I love Vegas for surprising reasons. You know, it's the yeah. landscape there is just gorgeous. Yeah. And there's a lot more to that town than gambling and showgirls. And what's something that people don't know about life and growing up in Las Vegas? You should. You're 20 minutes from Red Rock Canyon, mm. um, and it's just gorgeous hiking, free. So you spend a lot of time outdoors and stuff. That like, I can relate to that, um, which is that I grew up in southern Idaho in, in a small town. And it's not uh, Red Rock's gorgeous Vegas, but there's a big river that was just to the north of my town called the Snake River. And, uh, there's a huge Canyon right there in twin falls. Um, in fact, that's where evil Knievel tried to jump the Canyon yeah. in the seventies. Maybe you, that you heard of that. Um, that was like a mile from my house, but I spent so much time outside as a kid. I had a very camping intensive bike, bike riding, swimming in ditches. Um, we call them coolies in Southern Idaho oh, there. Cool. Um, and, but it's still, it's made such an impression on me growing up. It still is with me. Um, it makes me long for going back West because of the, that, that my connection mm-hmm. to the land. Yeah. So it sounds like that was, um, informed you in a similar way. Totally. And Nashville is a different kind of beautiful. Like we have rolling Hills here, Yeah. but there's something about being in a Valley and you look around and there's just massive mountains around you. Yes. And, and it's so, and there's not trees like there are here. So you can mm. see a long ways. That was the first yeah. thing when I first came to town, I was like, wow, you can never look over the trees. <clears throat> I'm still not really over it 20 years later. But um, Anyway, you moved here nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went straight, you moved here to go to college. Is that right? Yeah. 
I went to Belmont University. Mm-hmm. So I have a bachelor's degree in songwriting and a minor in music business. Wow. So you are <laughs> you were born to do it and you schooled to do it and now you have to do it. Yeah, because I want what to. Else, I mean, what else can you, what else are you good for? Right, Abigail? right. I mean, um, and that was, when did you graduate? 2022. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you're just like, you're right out of the gate doing this. A little bit. Amazing. Yeah. And, and you already, you're already getting attention with your songs on the songwriting circuit because those contests are pretty um, competitive, right? Uh, they're, I mean, 500 people usually, let me rephrase this. You were a finalist at the Rocky Mountain Folks Fest contest. One of the 10 finalists, is that? Yeah, I, I don't know. Folks Fest is different than the Rocky Mountain songwriting contest. One okay. is in Colorado and is with like Telluride people, Bluegrass. Planet, Planet, Blue, Planet Bluegrass. Blue, yeah. And then the Rocky Mountain one is um, like they do Whitefish Songwriter Festival and Red Lodge and okay yeah okay that's a that's a different one than I'm thinking but um I did um I actually actually kind of did want to play that one this year and I am my feelings are hurt that they didn't invite me guys um gotta get Corby in there gotta get Corby in there um but I have mostly because I have a connection to the to Montana and Red Lodge and that area um and I it's another you know it's just beautiful out west yes okay we've already covered that topic well enough so um my point being that if you're getting invited to these um finalists and and getting your name out there you're doing really great early on and many people never get um that far along in terms of the recognition of their songs so that's awesome and it bodes well thank you um and let's see let's get into the some of the promo side of this game like you told me a sad story right before we started taping yeah um so underneath this shirt is a an elbow brace because i was out this morning at peeler park which is a beautiful park to walk and maybe not roller skate through as i was doing and um i was making content for a little song i put out called rollerblade boy Mm -hmm. and i took a pretty nice spill right on my elbow my guitar playing elbow. Great. And nice. I'm suffering the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hopefully not too much so we can actually uh, hear you play and maybe play a little bit together. But, um, well, that sucks. Just Thank let me you. get th- that out there. And was the camera rolling when you fell? It was. Um, I have a very nice boyfriend that turned the camera away when I was like catching air. Uh. Um, I would so, say that's the wrong time to I know, turn the camera away. I know. He's he's a very <clears throat> grounding presence when it comes to making content and uh just life in general. So mm, it is very it is on brand for him to, you know, do that. Not capture that moment. And I, I think ultimately that is a good thing. Nice. No, I think that will serve you well in the long run, for sure. Um but so this is a nice way to get into it's not enough anymore to make a wonderful song and sing it yourself and raise the money to hire the producer to make the studio version. Um, you're not trying to get signed to a record label. Like, I don't, I mean, maybe you, you are, but that's not a thing that happens. It's not, not really the first goal anymore. It's yeah. like, I need to build an audience. I need to have music and a brand that's compelling before I can even put that on the 
the goal sheet. I get <laughs> it. I get it. Um, now more than ever. And, and so you're your own label and you're your own marketing firm. And so this piece of content that for which you paid a dear price mm -hmm. this morning was in service of a song that you recorded and it was it i don't think it was even like for an official video per se it's just like just some comment to put up on your phone to put in front of the song that you're putting underneath it yeah is that right yeah and that's a lifestyle right mm -hmm. that's that was thursday yeah a thursday in november you went and did this and um how do you manage to persevere this kind of impossible schedule of self-promotion and keep your mental sanity and your creative juices flowing? Hmm. I think I'm in a current season of just creating what sounds really fun to me. Um, yesterday, I shot a video of me making like dinosaur nuggets from scratch for a song called Dinosaur Bones. And it's really like silly, borderline doesn't make sense. And that is just what brought me joy that day. And I'm my hope is that if I can chase down ideas like that, that I will find my people who also think that is so dorky and funny and also this is a cool song playing behind it mm -hmm. um i get that and i think another reason th reason three while you why you're here is because i get it um because i i'm a fan and i follow you and i like your sense of humor i think that you know you don't take yourself terribly seriously maybe you do underneath it all but <clears throat> your brand is pretty quirky and we're having fun here folks mm -hmm. Um, so I guess you've, you know, you have a fan in me and there's oh. a bunch of people like me, um, probably it's, smarter and more mutual. sophisticated. Okay. <laughs> um, it, and so the relentlessness of it doesn't bother you. Um, question mark. Not, I mean, it can just like anything can. I mean, I, I burn out. I put too much on my plate and serve the consequences um but i think there is just something in me right now is like able to push past that and mm -hmm. i certainly have days where like i don't i don't feed the beast i don't feel creative i don't make a piece of content but i'm still thinking about it and stressing about it so i guess the way that i make peace with it is an analogy I've used in the past is like if you're in the medical field and a new piece of technology comes along to serve what you do in the medical field, like you're going to study up and learn how to use that to do your job better. And that is just what this social media beast is in our world. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a a lower tolerance for like people complaining about that because it is just the landscape That's that we're in job. now. That's the job. Yeah. So. so find another job if you don't like it. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I get it. Um, and I would say too, that to your point about, you know, even on days when you're not actively making content or writing songs, 
um, and you notice that it doesn't really go away. You're kind of always thinking about it. Yeah. I don't think that ever goes away. Um, as somebody who's 20 years later living in the same exact space and, Mm -hmm. um, like even when I am hanging out with my wife or on a day off, like there's no such thing as a day off still. There's kind of a part Sunday's kind of a chiller day. I'll try to keep Sunday chiller, but but still there's, I still often get up very early in the morning to get some stuff done before my wife wakes up and we have our chill day. Um, I, you just don't ever stop thinking about it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of the bane of the, the entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs existence is that, um, it is a, we're in a hustle field and, um, no one's going to do it for you, but you, and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's competitive too. There's a lot of other people that are really talented and you've kind of got to out compete them. Um, do you feel the same way or do you think of it that way? Or, um, I can come to thinking that way. Um, I don't think that's a healthy space for me to operate out of, especially in Nashville. Like everyone is, is hustling and I try to use that more as like inspiration to keep hustling and Mm -hmm. keep being creative. Um, I find in my utmost like mental healthiness, um, what is really motivating in is like bringing cooler opportunities to my circle of writers and musicians and people who have played bar gigs with me and like have we're in this together um like I just want to put out content to like get a have a bigger audience going so that maybe next time I take my musician friends on tour like we're playing a cooler room or like we're getting more money. Mm-hmm. And I think that community aspect and like building something like I can't put that all on my artistry and my songwriting. Like it has to be, okay, who are the people around me? Like who are my co-writers on this song that I want to like have a million streams? How mm-hmm. can I build up our world? You know? Yeah. Our, our, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I get that. Um, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And it's a good thing for me to hear, um, living in town for as long as I have, it is hard to not feel a little intimidated and you see people, especially I've been here a long time. So I've seen some people turn into superstars mm-hmm. that were just my friends and, um, that it is great. I noticed that like, well, one of the reasons for this Morse code podcast is cause it's, um, hopefully it, you know, we're putting, we're working hard to make it go and, you know, putting out a new episode every week, but it's a kind of a cool opportunity to shine a light on a lot of different people in that I admire in town and also serve my kind of desire to get to know better said people so like we might not go get coffee because we're both busy mm-hmm. maybe we should but um this is us getting i'm drinking coffee right now yeah and um so we can kind of talk and get to know each other a little better and also um uh i don't know share some of what you do that's i think is great with whoever's listening you listening right now mm-hmm. click on abigail's link in the oh. comments below okay <clears throat> cool i have a link you do now. Okay. 
You finally okay. made it. <laughs> any, you have a link. Any link? Um, like, well, there's a little bit of music here in this <laughs> podcast. And so maybe um, do you want to set up the first song? Like how you came to write it, who you wrote it with? Sure. Um, Think of which song that is. Right, That's the first right, test. Right. I guess we were talking about Dinosaur Bones earlier. Yes, we were. Um, this is a song I wrote with Jackson Emmer, who's a dear collaborator and an amazing songwriter himself go check out his music um and it's a very existential song about existentialism and dinosaur bones and there is a dorky music video a stop motion film that i made to go along with it and if you're watching this on youtube or uh, you can check out the morsecodepodcast.com and the link will be right there to dinosaur bones let's hear it That was fantastic. And uh, this is a great segue to what I want to ask you about your creative approach, which is what percentage of the songs you write are 
co-writes versus solo writes? Mm. I think these days, like 90% of my songs are co-writes. I love, I mean, I think it, your, what you were saying about your creation of the Morse code podcast was to like connect with people you wouldn't ordinarily have time to like have coffee with. Mm -hmm. That's kind of co-writing for me sometimes is like, I want to see my friends and I want to hang out and see what they're up to, but also like, can we write a song as well? Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of my day to day looks like there's a co-write in there at some point. How many days are you writing every week, every couple weeks, twice a week? What do you think on average? When I'm in town, like three to five times a week. Nice. Yeah. And you'll finish a song most of the time or um, all the time, or is it not important to you to finish if it's not going well? Um, lately, everything usually gets finished and then we'll go back and edit. I think that works well for my brain to just get something on the page. And then if it needs a little more love and care, we can go back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then are your co-writers, are they kind of artists as well? Are they trying to do it? And, um, okay. Well, that answered that question. Um, yes, she's nodding for for the listeners. Uh, I've, as somebody who is not from here, who moved here, I never really co-wrote a song. Even I had made several records. I lived in Seattle and went to college out there, um, and never co-wrote a one until I moved here. And it's just kind of in the water here. It's so cultural, Mm -hmm. um, that, it, and it is a big part of the reason it's a social component. It's a great way to meet creative people yeah. and to kind of test your, I don't know, just see what you can come up with. I find it very scary to write a song, whether I'm writing it by myself or with someone. Um, do you have any trepidation around the creative process or are you, are you kind of handle it so freely? It seems like you're pretty f- gentle and it's a playful thing or I don't know. Is there a fear component to it that you overcome? The best thing I ever heard about creativity. Um, I think this was at Belmont. I wish I remembered who passed it along, but it's a Greek philosophy of the genius in the walls are you have you heard of that? No, break it down. It's like this idea that your ideas are not your own and all you can do is show up and listen and if the genius is in the walls, you can catch it and you can write it down. Mm. And if it's not in the walls, you still showed up to work and you still wrote something down. Maybe it was, you know, half-assed genius showed up today and you got your song and um so the genius's fault, not your own. Yeah. It's not, not your responsibility to generate the the song. Yeah. It's just a, your vessel here to catch it. Mm-hmm. That's um, really encouraging. And um, I have a, a connection to that analogy, which is that when I was younger, I did a bunch of hitchhiking and had some wacky adventures. And one of those was visiting a snake handling church in... Um, West Virginia. Whoa. And, um, I got really in with the, the community and hung out with them. And that's another story, but for this story, um, there, <clears throat> there was a component to this church and the church service that was like, it was basically a dead show. 
Um, it was jam band music, except okay. so, largely sober. They were drinking strychnine, um, allegedly. Um, something clear in the glasses that was making him wince. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what that could have been? Uh, and they were handling poisonous snakes for Jesus. All crazy. But there was a guitar player in the band and he was throwing it down. I mean, he was really good, you know, and he was just, and, but he was very, you know, this is Appalachia, deep, deep Appalachia. He was very much of the town and um, of those folks. And his name was Booty. And mm-hmm. afterwards I was like, man, how, Booty, you're really, you're great at that thing. What, how, you know, how did you, did you learn some people? What are your influences? And he's like, influences, man, I, just, I don't know anything about no influences. It's just like God shows me some stuff. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's as hmm. good a good an answer as any. I've thought about that a lot ever since of just like, yeah, because what's what's really going on when we're sitting there trying to make a song? I think about, you know, for myself, I'm like, it's a mysterious thing every single time. I can't, I don't exactly mm-hmm. know what's going on. It's not me writing a song. It's like you said, it's the genius in the walls. Yeah. Um, you can talk about influences and I guess there certainly are those things. But um, and the act of actually making this, the, the thing. It's, it's something else. Um, but I said the word influences and that makes me want to know in that uh, sphere, do you have people that you admire in this space? Yeah. That inspire you? I mean, I love recently, like I love listening to new music. I love listening to my fellow Nashville friends when they put out music. Um, and I think anything you listen to will influence you if you're a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, but my go-tos, like I was a big Ed Sheeran girl back okay. in the day. Yeah. Um, Panic at the Disco. They have some roots in Vegas. Uh, so I think that was kind of why I got into them. And they use like four syllable words in their songs. I always thought that was really cool. Like what's one? Uh, they have a song called I constantly thank God for Esteban and they never say that ever in the song. And so I just like the, the indie girl in me in like seventh grade was like, this is so cool. Um, (laughs) a long song title. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Just random. I guess it all comes back to kind of like this lightness around music. That's just, that made me smile. And yeah. As again, like oh, not good. taking it too seriously. It's like music for fun. Yeah. It's very refreshing to hear this because singer songwriters can sometimes be a little bit stodgy. Um, I am one of them. Um, sure. And uh, it is really, it is really important to remember that it's supposed to be fun. I actually try to put on a fun show um, in, because I've watched lots of, great singer songwriters play shows that that if I, I hear you know maybe they have a song it's just like oh my god that's so so good um but if there are too many songs that are kind of similar and hover around the same thing it's very difficult to enjoy the whole set all the way through mm. <laughs> sometimes i'm like mm-hmm. um uh yeah less is more unless it changes up a lot and um and is also like fun for its own sake uh, there's an artist named, um, Rachel Price. I don't yeah. Know if you know her. Well, is she the Lake Street Dive? Yeah. Singer? Lake Street Dive. And I just, she's a great example of a fun performer and artist mm-hmm. and Lake Street Dive, Dive is a fun band, mm-hmm. um, and great songs and great talent, but also we're having a great time here. Yeah. 
Um, I think some of it too is my songs are a lot darker and more serious that, and I'm, that's not how I present myself on the surface. I think I'm very, I'm much more like silly than my songs. So if I can provide some kind of comedic relief in between songs, I think that's important. It's clutch. (laughs) No, especially like the darker the song, the funnier the banter needs to be. Yeah. Because you gotta make people feel okay. (laughs) I played a a Halloween show at uh, the Mockingbird Theater and I have the song about self-gaslighting and I was like, nothing scarier than a song about self-gaslighting. Here's something really, you know, introspective. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so what, how do you, how do you, how to ask this question in a graceful way, Corby, do your best. How do you make money playing music as, um, starting out and what, what do you anticipate to be the principal generator of income and do you ever think about it? Maybe cause you're so young, who cares mm. a little bit? I do think about it a lot. You do? Um, I have a retail job mm-hmm. that is actually ending in December. I work for an artist and she's um, wanting to become an artist again. So it's a very mm. bittersweet transition. <laughs> um, she gets to, she's following what she should probably should be doing. Yeah. Her calling, but you're out of, out of work. But I think it, it's also going to hopefully do a similar thing for me where I can kind of take that leap and see what full-time music can look like because mm-hmm. i have i have gigs in town playing at the listening room tonight at 10 p.m awesome um if anyone wants to come out it'll be well past who knows maybe by the time this airs i will be playing there be again there. i'll try to line it up whoa okay it's possible we'll talk okay we'll talk um so like gigs and then i do a bit of custom songwriting with a couple different um companies organizations like somebody pays like they say i want a song written for my wife for our anniversary and mm-hmm. nice yeah um i i do that this is relevant to the podcast we're trying to talk about how um artists make money uh i do a, a little bit of songwriting on demand for people but just through myself through my kind of fan base and i've talked to a couple of friends that have worked for these companies um, and the price point is so low that I am shocked a little bit mm-hmm. that, um, it, you're not getting much compensation for how much time and energy you're putting into a song. And to m- my friend's company was saying that they charge $200 to write a song from scratch. And that's, that's the company. That's not them writing the song. They're in-house songwriters in-house, um, are doing the work. And so I imagine that's like being split. Mm-hmm. And is this a similar arrangement yeah. with, with what you do? Yeah. That's um <clears throat> that's not enough money. <laughs> no. But if you do like 10 of them. Yeah, but that that's... feels there's a part of me <laughs> that gets my blood up a little bit um because that feels a little exploitative on the part of the the house. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of what they're offering, somebody created a website maybe and sunk some money into the advertising and um that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears into a song, and it's—I don't know—maybe you can crank one out in an hour, but um, I don't know. I'm not sure that 
is a very good way to do it. Yeah. But I think that we were about to say is like, it's a gig and you t- it's hundred bucks is better than nothing. Yeah. I feel like I make a hundred dollars at a time. You know, that's just yeah. early gig musician life is yeah. like, where, where can I go play for a hundred dollars? Wow. That makes me mad. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, Cause you're, you're worth a lot more than that. But I, well, I also, I also, you know, understand that the world doesn't owe any artist, any living. And the sooner an artist makes peace with that, um, I think the more effective they'll end up being at making a, a career for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, the, the opposite the, or the alternative is then you feel bitter and resentful that the world doesn't recognize your genius. So I think, you know, I guess on balance, you have the, a great attitude about it and maybe the right one, but just from the perspective of the of the man in this case i'm just like that just yeah and it's crazy how it all goes back to the internet for me because like if you get your your viral shot on one of your songs that's an easy thing to be like okay now i'm worth this much when i go to a gig because i can ask for a certain guarantee because i have a hundred thousand followers on tiktok Mm -hmm. where until you have those numbers like the music can be good but it doesn't matter yeah okay this is a great thing that i need to learn is there a relationship between your tiktok followers say and actual people showing up to gigs um i mean i don't have like the audience that i was just talking about that was definitely a hypothetical thing um but i have seen i mean i have a good buddy that went viral on TikTok and I just saw him at the songwriter festival and it was so cool to see people running up to him with like things to sign. And I mean, I've seen it. I think it, yeah, it's, I mean, a hundred thousand people on TikTok might mean there are like three to four people in every major city mm. or maybe, maybe more. Who knows the number, but it's yeah. not a hundred people. Probably it's just a few, but yeah. a million, if you ratchet that, scale that up a million people, that's 30 people yeah. um, in every city. And I think I, if I remember right um, on Spotify, maybe Spotify is always changing on the artist side. Like there's kind of an under the hood side on Spotify. Mm-hmm. If you're an artist and you can get the stats um, based on the plays that your songs are getting. And one of those stats is it, it will break down where, which markets, you know, it's like a physical map of yeah. the country and it'll sort of have like spots where you're hotter than in other places. And then, so the logic there is that you can direct your touring efforts toward those spots. Totally. Um, do you, do you spend much time on the analytical side of that stuff or do you think about it? I peek at it, um, especially recently, my buddy, John Hewitt, who I met at a songwriting festival, he's um, from Edmonton, Canada, and he's been kind of playing at like some radio promo for me as a new endeavor, like he wants to help artists in that way. And sure enough, like you can see Shazam's from Edmonton, Canada, because they're playing my song on the radio. Wow. And that's that's cool to that's see. That's really cool, and um, congratulations on that. And also, the when somebody shazams your song, you get a you can find out that information. Yeah, you can actually only see it on Apple Music for mm-hmm. artists, but because you, you'll use like Siri or whatever to shazam, and they might open it up and listen to it in Spotify. 
Mm. But Shazam is on the Apple Music for Artists Under the Hood app. Nice. I have just, when I was really doing this, I'm not doing it as hard as I was. I'm doing some other things as well. But when I was really doing it, I was kind of constantly overwhelmed by the obligation to maintain a presence across so many platforms. And then on top of that, to also be my own manager and try to effectively mount a campaign based on whatever interest is being shown to me some part of the And I was just like, I don't know how anybody really does that and makes a song from their heart that touches people. Um, and, but I guess it can be done or I don't know. It's also just like, I guess you kind of, like you said, it sounds like your, um, your folk, your focus or your hope is to create um, a song or a piece of content or both that goes viral and that will be the light most the highest that will give the highest likelihood of opening new doors and bigger doors to you is that a fair way to understand it yeah i mean that's definitely one goal like i feel like we've been talking about content a lot so like in that world of course you want to make content that performs well yeah um am i always focusing on that and like doing what i'm supposed to be doing quotation mark on like the social media front no because yeah. i i like like writing songs with my friends and produce yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i i really what i'm hoping to do in this in these still winter months is like go full entrepreneur business plan like figure out what goes into that yeah so okay what i always run into is like i have these goals for myself one is to produce an album and then once that's done i like set a new target and that was to go on tour and now that i've done both of those things this year i have downtime and that's when i start to get a little panicky Mm -hmm. and so i just want to know like what to do in that in between and like what those goals and kind of the admin side of my music job yeah and well it sounds like you have some training in this department as well because of your undergrad thing so you've been taught to think this way a little so i imagine that will serve you well i hope so (laughs) it's a little weird everything's always changing and that's that's cool yeah (laughs) when you get to be an old dog like me it's even more intimidating um but let's we also play music so maybe we could do another song let's do another song um which i which song do you you have a one you're gonna play by yourself and then maybe we'll do another one which one do you want to do now uh it's your choice your show okay yeah let's let's do vegas let's do vegas okay okay we're gonna do vegas um is this gonna be an homage to your hometown or it's an homage to my hometown and also the festival that we met this was the song that i played at wildflower and and you took second place took second place yeah fantastic i saw it right there after, in the bio after corby took first place <laughs> well, which well deserved there was much. a bribe there was a bribe um <laughs> all right let's get in there i can't wait Since I was a kid, I've known these neon lights 
You're 23. Mm-hmm. Wow. I remember 23. Invincibility. Mm-hmm. You don't start. That doesn't start. I don't know. My elbow. <laughs> you got your first, the first chink learned. in your armor. I, it's so rare that I'm injured. Yeah. I just, I play it really safe. I don't. I, don't. I mean, it's so rare that anyone's injured, honestly, Abigail. Well, I don't know. Hearing your story about the Heelys makes me think that you're maybe more frequently injured than someone who I mean doesn't. those those stories took place across five years so okay um, I, on the whole I tend to be non-injured okay but um, I'm glad we cleared this up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you 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 play maybe safer than than even the average uh, Jill or Joe is that maybe. what you're saying yeah I'm, I'm like a brisk walk person uh-huh. I won't be on the basketball court jamming my fingers with the basketball yeah yeah that's i mean jamming your fingers that's a serious one yeah i think yeah the worst especially for a guitar hand Mm -hmm. um so okay you've got oh this is another question i wanted to ask the the youth of today Uh um do you make records or EPs or singles, and then conversely, do you listen to whole albums or whole EPs or singles? 
Yes and yes. I I only listen to records all the way through, really, unless I'm like checking out one new song that someone put out. Huh, okay. So I think that's encouraging or daunting. So you still, you're going to make another record. Um, the current one is a, is a 10 track. It's it's seven songs. Yeah. So I've I've called it both an EP and an album. Depending on the crowd. Yeah, it's like a long EP but a short album. Uh huh. Um, I I think that's kind of a sweet little spot. Um, does it? Why why seven? Um, I think that those are just the songs that I felt strongly about putting out and were kind of a cohesive sound and vision. Mm -hmm. So I went in with seven songs and like produced seven songs, co-produced with my buddy, Chris Donlin. It sounds great. Thank you. The record sounds fantastic. We had so much fun is just like home studio, all my best musician friends. Yeah. It feels very joyful. Mm. Um, well, and pretty, Thanks. pretty sophisticated. I mean, it sounds great. Thank and you. Th- was that like built kind of track, like overdubs track at a time? We did a day that was bass and drums. So laid the foundation to a couple dinky demos that I made that had guitar and scratch vocal. Um, and then kind of like built an instrument at a time. So we'd have, it. it's, unfortunately it comes to like, the money thing definitely set the schedule. So sure. like hiring a piano player for one session, that's a couple hours versus like, Hey, can you come back and track right. on this other song? So you're getting your money's worth for that one session. Yeah. Like, Let's yeah. track on four songs or whatever. You and also like time too. Yeah. I'm, if there's one thing that I, that kind of guides me is like efficiency and, hmm. So that's, that's how we did it that way. <laughs> do you, do you kind of belabor, like when you get to the mix and everything, is it hard for you to finish to sign, sign off on a thing or you're like, Oh, this could be a little bit better. This could be a little bit better. Do you struggle um, with that? I feel like I have in the past, but working with Chris, he's just, I trust him so much that when he was like, I think this is close to being done. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so valuable to have a collaborator collaborator that you can trust, especially like a producer mixer. Yeah. I I mean, I've definitely lost my brain in the mixing uh, part of the process because you just, I feel like there's a, something is blocking the sound from like actually entering correctly. Like, I don't know if I'm getting the right information in my head. It's <laughs> Like from listening so much to yeah. a song? Yeah, I think that's if everybody gets a little tunnel vision. All of a sudden, it's like all you hear is the snare. Is the snare, yeah, the I snare know. gone? Like, I know. Yeah, that's that is crazy. Um, and do you uh, have some facility with like Pro Tools or Logic, or do you just sort of trust your circle or your collaborator to do that? I'm definitely comfortable in Logic and kind of know like the basics, EQ, compression, like there's way too much reverb on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but Chris is definitely the main force in the processing side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can do it yourself or like the technical side. It's not like you. 
yeah. no familiarity with the. Yeah. And it seems like that's, I mean, a kind of a prerequisite anymore for anybody. I think so. I mean, Belmont definitely helped in that area. Gave you some some skills. Yeah. Yeah, some training. Um, well, let's uh, let's have one more song, and maybe you can just play us out with this solo cool. song. And um, do you want to set it up? Sure. Yeah, this is, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy to hang out with you. Thank you for having me. I feel like I learned a lot. And <laughs> oh you're very goodness. gracious to put up with me. I'm like, back in my day, we all sold CDs out of our trunk and we liked it. What are you guys doing anyway? <laughs> I still sell CDs out of my trunk. Oh, that's so comforting. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple that you can have as oh, parting gifts. Well, thank tit you. For tat. Thank okay. you. Um, no, thank you so much. I was going to thank you afterwards, but now that we're in the thanking part of the show, oh, then okay. I'll say thank you so much for giving uh, me a little of your time. And, um, and your music, this has been such a joy. And um, what is the, the, the track that you're most excited about that everyone needs to listen to on Spotify? Um, I, guess, I guess this next one that I'm gonna play, it's um, a song very near and dear to my heart in the sense that it brought me back to like the therapeutic aspects of writing. I feel like in Nashville, we can grind and write and show up and you know, whatever hits the page, hits the page. But this was like therapy. And um, I wrote it with my dear friend, Sarah Bears. So awesome. Grateful to this song. Can't wait to hear it. Thank you so much, Abigail Comst. Thank you, Corby. I say a lot of stupid things Ignore emotions constantly For someone who writes a lot of songs I take the fault for what I lack I'm really good at doing that Professional self-critical and strong Pass me a match for the self-attack I'll ignite it on my own I know how to hurt but I make it worse So, oh, I'm a chronic overthinker Tugging at my fingers Golden girl accuser Picking at Chronic overthinker Talk.
Podcast is produced by Corby Lanker and Kyle Noctegall in East Nashville, Tennessee. Our executive producer is Randa Newman. You can find full video of this and all past episodes by visiting morsecodepodcast.com.